Good morning. It's good to be with you in worship this morning. Uh, Before we look at God's Word, I just wanted to say a word of thanks. I was looking at the financial report at the bottom of the back page of our bulletin, and things look good uh, because of some of the generous gifts we got during the month of June. Um, Obviously, we didn't get all the way up to budgeted income, but we got we spent less than we received. How about that? So we finished the year in the black, and uh, we can move forward into this new fiscal year in a position of strength. So thank you for your prayers, for your gifts, uh, for every little penny that you might have contributed in the month of June. Such a big help. Turn in your Bible then this morning, if you will, to the book of Psalms as we continue our study of the Psalms this summer. We're looking at just a a variety of the Psalms, not really following any certain plan, just skipping around in the book of Psalms. And today we're going to look together at Psalm 16. It's found on page 575 of the Bibles that you will find underneath the chair in front of you. Page 575. Listen then as I read God's holy word. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us your word to read, to study, to meditate on. And so this morning, Holy Spirit of God, we need you to come and be our teacher. As Michael prayed earlier, not that we merely understand what is written here, but that it go down into our hearts and that the gospel might penetrate the deepest recesses of our hearts. Uh, Lord, thank you again for this morning, for being with us. Thank you for your presence in the room, even as we continue to look at this passage of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, life is filled with uncertainties. 
You may have read this past week about Nathan and Megan Johnson of Nashville, Tennessee. Nathan is a guitar player for the Christian band Meaning Machine. Early last Tuesday morning at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, his wife Megan gave birth to a beautiful, healthy little girl, their first child. They named her Eileen Kate. It was a perfect delivery, totally uneventful. Megan and Nathan beamed with joy over this little baby. Megan held her, fed her, burped her, posted her photos on Instagram, and after a few hours took a nap. But then shortly before 10 a.m., something went wrong. Megan started having complications. And by 11 o'clock, Megan Johnson, mother of a baby girl less than nine hours old, passed away. Cause of death unknown. Her funeral is this afternoon in St. Louis, Missouri. An extreme example? Sure. But it's an illustration of something about this world that most of you, I'm sure, have already discovered. And that is that life is unstable. And life is chaotic. There's no guarantee that any one of us will live to see tomorrow. Everything's in a state of flux. The economy is unpredictable. Your 401k could take a nosedive this week. Your health could deteriorate. Fads come and go. Technology becomes obsolete. Parents die. Cars die. Fashions change. Children leave the nest. Who knows what will happen next in Washington or North Korea or China? Or where the next bombing or stabbing or shooting will happen. What about your kids? Will they grow up to follow Jesus? Will your marriage survive the strain and stress of life? Will you need to replace your roof? What about your car? Where's the money going to come from for those things? How are you going to pay off your college loans? Will you pay off your college loans? Will you always be single? Will you die of cancer? On and on the questions go. Blaise Pascal said that we sail within a vast sphere, ever drifting in uncertainty, driven from end to end. So how, in a world like this, can one live with security? What is there to hold on to? Psalm 16 gives the answer. I want you to notice first the context of this psalm. The title says that it is a miktam. You see that in your Bible? A miktam of David. Now, we don't know what a miktam is. The margin says that it's a musical or liturgical term. But there's a group of miktam psalms in the Old Testament, 56 through 60. And they all have one thing in common. The author is in some kind of trouble. Uh, Psalm 56 says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, and attacker oppresses me. 57, My soul is in the midst of lions. I I lie down amid fiery beasts. 
Psalm 59, deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. See, that's the context of Psalm 16 too. David is in trouble here. He says in verse 1, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. It seems that David doesn't know what's going to happen next or what dangers lurk around the corner. Now, we don't know what kind of situation David is in in this particular place. It doesn't really give us a lot of detail. But something, you know, has rocked his world. Maybe he's fleeing from King Saul. Perhaps he's in the wilderness alone and afraid. Maybe it's later on in his life when his son Absalom usurped the throne and David felt compelled to flee for his safety. The point is, we don't really know, but David needs something stable. David needs something to hold on to, something that won't change, that won't shift or let him go. Uh, Last week, my wife and I spent a few days with our Mississippi grandchildren. And uh, we took our son, our grandson Tate, who's 10, to the beach. And he took along his skimboard. You know what a skimboard is, right? Thin piece of plywood. And he said, Dad, Dad, that's my name, come skimboard with me. And I said, no way. I am not going to skimboard. I know what's going to happen to me. As soon as I step on that skimboard, woof, you know, I'm going to land on my tail. So he skimboarded all by himself. And as I thought about it, as I watched him, I thought in preparation for Psalm 16, I thought life is like skimboarding. It's a lot like that. It's a day-by-day act of trying to maintain your balance when the ground is shaking and chaos is swirling around you. So how do you do it? How do you live joyfully and securely in an unstable world? Well, David says here in Psalm 16 that there are basically two ways to try to do it. There's a right way and a wrong way. So let's look at the wrong way first. Okay, the wrong way to live is by trying to hold on to the passing pleasures of this world. That's the wrong way to try to live holding on to security, to hold on to the passing pleasures of this world. Look at look at verse four. Verse four says the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Now, see, there are a lot of people in this world who try to find security in things like their work their toys, their knowledge, the power they have over other people, maybe spending money, even good things like their health, their marriage, or their children. Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe that's where you're running to. Notice that verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Maybe, Maybe you're running after something like that, hoping that it will satisfy your need for security. If so, that thing, whatever it is, has become your God. It's your idol. You've turned a good thing into an ultimate thing. See, you're trusting in it and you're treating it as the main thing, an essential ingredient in the recipe for a happy life. The the Hebrew word for run after means to pursue or to pant, to be in a hurry to find something. And there's an unusual other use of that word. In Exodus 22:16. it refers to the price that a man would pay to obtain a bride. Remember that because we're going to refer to that later. So when you run or pant after something, 
It means that you're willing to pay a steep price for it. Like a man who wants a wife so badly that he's willing to pay her parents for her. So I ask you, what is it costing you to chase that idol of yours? I read about a man this past week who had made pornography his God. And it not only bankrupted him, but it also cost him his marriage. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and following says, Do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. The pleasures of this world, you see, are temporary. That's why David says in verse 4 that if you worship another god, you'll just end up sad. Your sorrows will be multiplied, he says. You'll be disappointed, so don't do it. C.S. Lewis said that idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. So David says, no, no, I'm not going to walk that way. I'm not going to take that false path to joy and security. After all, it's a dead end. Worse than that, it's a road that leads over a cliff. I'm not going to pursue the gods that pagans around me pursue. Instead, he says in verse 4, I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood or take their names on my lips. Instead, he says, I'm going to take a different road, the right road, the right path to security and joy in a chaotic world. Look down the page at verse 11, the very last verse of the passage. He says, you make known to me the path of life. See, there's the right path. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, David has found the path of life, the right way to live with security. He's found the right way to live with joy. And it's through not pursuing God's, but God himself. Not the pleasures of this world that are passing away, but the God who is pleasure itself and offers true pleasure to his people. In you, he says in verse 1, I take refuge. David pants after God. He pursues a closer relationship with God. Think about that word refuge for a moment. When the Israelites were getting settled in the promised land, if you remember that history, God designated or set aside six different cities. Three on the eastern side of the Jordan River and three on the western side. And he called them cities of refuge. You remember that? Cities of refuge. In other words, these were cities that if someone accidentally killed another person, he or she could run to one of these cities of refuge and be safe from the avenger of blood. You can find that in Numbers 35. And not only think about the cities of refuge, but there were a couple of times in the Old Testament where someone who had committed a crime was able to run to the temple and grab onto the horns of the altar, the bronze altar on which sacrifices were burned. The person could grab onto the horns of the altar and be safe. Now see, those are pictures, those are illustrations of what David is talking about here. Because life is unstable, because it's unpredictable, we need to run for safety to God and hold on to Him 
And let him be our refuge. That's the way to find security in an unstable world. But you say to me, Mike, it sounds so nice, run to God. But God's invisible. How do you run to an invisible God? What does that actually look like? What does it mean? Well, that's why I'm glad that we're doing Psalm 16. Because Psalm 16 is intensely practical. In this psalm, David gives us five ways to take refuge in God. Five different ways to take refuge. Let's look at each one of those real quickly. First way. In order to find security in this world that's so passing away, so changing, speak to God about your troubles. Talk to God. Take your need to him in prayer. Look at verses 1 and 2 once again, where David says, Preserve me, O God. See, this is a prayer. Preserve me, O God. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You know, I'm sometimes sort of troubled by the fact that when I talk to some Christians, they tell me that they do not pray very much. That's concerning. Uh, Some husbands and wives that are believers do not pray together very often. Some parents that I talk to do not pray with their children. Well, if there's one thing that we should learn from this study this summer of of the Psalms, it is that this entire book is a book of prayers. David, in the book of Psalms, is modeling something that's so important for us to do, and that is he's talking to the creator of heaven and earth in psalm after psalm after psalm. And this is one of those psalms. So when you're in trouble, when you feel the brokenness and the insecurity of this world, pray, right? Pray. I mean, this is so obvious, but David is being practical. If you want to take refuge in God, talk to him often. Secondly, not only speak to God, but listen to God. Listen to God. Look at verse 7. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. Uh, As I told you, I was with my Mississippi grandchildren. That's what I call the three of them, ages 10, 12, and 15. And the 15-year-old, our granddaughter Tyler just got her driver's, her learner's permit. And uh, I, I, I was the passenger in a car that she was driving. Talk about faith, right? But I got such pleasure out of sitting in the same car with my 15-year-old, my oldest granddaughter. Now, from time to time, I gave her counsel. <laughs> Slow down here, we're approaching the light. Look to your left before you turn. So I gave her some counsel. But you know what I enjoyed the most? Was just being with her. Just being in the car with her. Those of you who have grandchildren know what I'm talking about. The very idea that I would have a grandchild with a driver's permit is so amazing. I loved it. Have you ever... Have you ever wakened up in the middle of the night or maybe gotten up before the kids are awake and it's still uh, still very early, the sun is just beginning to cast its spell on the world and you go out on the porch or you go into your family room with your Bible and you open up the Bible and listen to God. 
See, that's him giving you counsel. That's him speaking to you from his word. But here's what I want you to get. You know, for the longest time, I had trouble having a regular quiet time. And you know why? It's because I thought it was all about me spending time with God. But the story about me being with my granddaughter is an illustration of the fact that maybe it's going to revolutionize your quiet times when you realize that God loves spending time with you. He loves being in that family room. He loves being on that porch with you. He loves opening up his word and speaking to you what you need to hear. Maybe that's how you need to look at your quiet times a lot differently as God's time to be with you. So listen to God. Number three, be in community with others in order to take refuge in God. Be in community with other people. Look at verse three. The psalmist says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. One of the temptations that we often fall into when we're in trouble is that we draw apart from people. We isolate ourselves. We draw back. We don't want to be with people because we're going through a hard time. We're suffering and we don't want to be with people. We retreat. Well, David says, no, don't do that. David is not doing that in this psalm, even though he's in trouble. Instead, it says in verse 3 that he enjoys his fellow believers. He says he calls them saints and excellent ones. When's the last time you called one of your fellow Christians an excellent one? That word excellent means glorious or noble or mighty or worthy. That is David's view of his brothers and sisters in the Lord. They are glorious ones, mighty ones. They are saints. Last week, if you were here, Matt talked about the importance of coming to worship and being in church on Sunday morning. Well, see, this is a way to take refuge in God. Here is your city of refuge. Here is your bronze altar. Maybe think about that. When you walk in the sanctuary on Sunday morning, you're grabbing onto the horns of the altar because you need God to be your refuge and your strength. And you're coming to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ in order to find that refuge. God was so unbelievably concrete with his people in the Old Testament. Are you in trouble? Here's this city. Run there. Are you troubled? Do you need stability in your life? Run to the temple. Grab onto the horns of the altar. Well, he's being practical with you and me too. Go to church. Come and be with your brothers and sisters in the Lord and look at them as your fellow saints. Be in community, number three. Number four, practice contentment and simplicity. Now, I know we could get a sermon out of each of these, but they're all in this psalm, so I wanted to mention them. Number four is practice contentment and simplicity. That is, live with what you have instead of always wanting more. Look at verses 5 and 6 where David says that the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold, which means secure, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, David may be alluding to the fact that the the 12 tribes of Israel were all given various allotments in the promised land. And so he's referring to the lines or the allotment or his lot 
that God has provided. But basically you get the feeling here that David has learned in life that you really don't need a lot of stuff to be happy. In fact, he sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul who says in Philippians 4 that he's learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Are you content with what you've been given? Have the lines fallen for you in pleasant places? Can you say, I have all I need? I don't need more. I want to, in fact, give it away. I want to simplify my life because God wants to be my refuge. I don't want things to be my refuge. Read about a Puritan one time who uh, sat down to his meal and he found that he only had a little bread and some water. And he said, what? All this and Jesus too? (laughs) Can you say that about your stuff? Number five and finally, cultivate a sense of God's continual presence. Cultivate a sense of God's continual presence. Look at verse 8. David says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Why can David say that? It's because he set the Lord always before him. Show you uh, what I do. In my Bible, wherever I preach, I've got a post-it note. And I write on that post-it note, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. See, I need that. I need that post-it note. I need that reminder that I'm in the presence of God. And he is with me all the time. You and I both need that. Maybe you should write verse 8 on a post-it note and put it in your cubicle at work or put it on your refrigerator or maybe carry it with you in your wallet or put it on your dashboard of the car or by your bedside to remind yourself that you're never outside the presence of God. As I said a little while ago, I'm okay with having a regular set time to meet with God in the morning or in the evening or sometime during the day. We usually call that a a quiet time or a devotion time. I'm okay with that. But if that's all you have, you're forgetting what God really wants for you, which is the continual experience throughout the day and even into the night of his presence, which gives you joy, that sense of refuge and security. In verse 11, he says, in your presence is fullness of joy. That word presence in Hebrew is actually the word face. In your face, (laughs) in your face is fullness of joy. God's face, that is. Maybe some of you have heard the Latin phrase, quorum Deo, before the face of God. David is calling us here to live quorum Deo, before the face of God. Every day, everywhere you are, you're in the face, in the presence of God. Now, what might that look like? What, what, what would that look like in your life if you had this sense that you were continually in the presence of God? Well, I can just imagine sort of a daily routine. That when you wake up, you immediately thank God for a good night's sleep. Thank you, Lord. Welcome to a new day. 
And then as you eat breakfast, you're thankful for food. And then as you maybe drive to work or school, you're thinking, you know, God is right here with me. God, I need you today. I have no idea what's going to happen today. Lord, would you give me wisdom? Would you help me to be a light to others? Would you live in me? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit, God? Maybe if you're doing the laundry, what are you doing? You're singing. You know, you're thankful that you even have a washing machine. You're thankful for your clothing. God, thank you that I have to wash clothes. Many people in the world don't even have such things. When you're at work, what are you doing? You're, you're turning your tasks over to the Lord. God, it's, it's now time for this new project. I, I can't do it by myself. I need to be like a branch connected to a vine. God, fill me, help me, help me do this work with joy. Maybe you get a difficult phone call or you have to make a phone call that you know is going to be a hard conversation. You say, Lord, help me with this phone call. I can't do it alone. Thank you that you're with me. I want to live before your face, Lord. And then before you go to sleep, you know, all day long it's been that type of awareness of God's presence. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for sleep. I want to just fall asleep tonight thinking about you. You know, that's what it is to live before the face of God. That's really what God wants of his children. The desert fathers. I don't know if you're aware of who the desert fathers were, but it was a group of people back in the third century who really seemed to uh, capture what it meant to live in the presence of God 24-7. They came up with a technique that we called breath prayers. Breath prayers. And basically, they were simply short phrases of Scripture that you speak out in one breath. And you do it, you know, throughout the day. Such as, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Such as, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Something like, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. See, these things are just short phrases of Scripture. God is our refuge and our strength. Their most famous breath prayer we sang today. It's called the Curie Eleison. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You learned a breath prayer today. Pray it throughout the day. You can pray short bits of the Lord's Prayer that way. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Lead me not into temptation. Those are all breath prayers. Some people find that listening to certain kinds of music helps them live before the face of God. Other people memorize scripture, carry the cards around in their pocket before the face of God. Whatever helps you, find a way to remind yourself constantly throughout the day that you're in God's presence. That, says David in Psalm 16, is the right way to live in an unstable world. But you may be asking this question. It's a good question. How do I know all this is true? Pastor, how can I really believe that God is there? Really is there that he loves me? That he's someone I can talk to? Someone who loves to be with me the way you described being with your granddaughter? How can I believe that? Is it really just a feeling that you have, Pastor? Or is there some objective reality, some proof that the God of Psalm 16 is real? Look at verses 9 and 10. You want proof? Here it is. 
David says in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. That's another word for the grave. Or let your Holy One see corruption. Now who is David talking about here? Well, on one level he's talking about himself. He's referring to his own death. And he believes that that he will live beyond the door of death. He will be in the presence of God after dying. But a thousand years after David penned this psalm, the apostle Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. You can see this in Acts chapter 2. And Peter took verses 8 through 11 of Psalm 16, and he says, those verses are about Jesus. David was looking beyond himself and promising us that God was going to run after us. That God would one day, you remember I said I would refer to this later? One day God would pay the bride price for you and for me to make us his bride when we were his enemies. These verses are about Jesus Christ who was crucified, died buried and rose again on the third day. It was his body that was not abandoned to the grave. He was the Holy One who would not see corruption. He rose again to newness of life and he gives life and joy and a strong right arm to anyone who would trust in him. And if you put your trust in Jesus, one day your body will rise from the grave just like his did. One day your body will be glorified like his body. And you will be forever with the Lord on the new earth where there is no more instability, no more death, no more sorrow. That is the Christian's ultimate hope. This life is by nature unstable and chaotic. The pleasures of this world are ephemeral. They are all passing away. But because the resurrected Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning and one day returning to make all things new, you can live with joyful confidence and stability in the midst of chaos. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I told you about Nathan and Megan Johnson. Nathan is now suddenly a widower and a single dad of a baby less than a week old. But this is what he told a reporter. We Christians grieve with hope. We'll see Megan again. We still grieve. It's not easy. But the hope that we have is so important to this whole situation. When you feel the instability and the chaos of this world, run to the Lord and take refuge in Him. The one who ran to you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that the bands of death could not hold you. Thank you that you, though you died on the cross, rose again three days later The grave could not hold you, and you live now, and one day you'll come back. Lord, it is a messed up, crazy world. I pray that you will help us here at UPC to remember these five things. Maybe just one of them today will be something that we could begin to put into practice in our lives. 
Oh, Lord, help us to speak to you often. Help us to listen to you speak to us. Teach us contentment, Lord. Help us to know that what we have is more than enough. And Lord, we pray that we will live before your face. That we'll always carry about us a a consciousness, an awareness that we are with you. And thank you for our brothers and sisters. Thank you that you've given us a community of faith to encourage us and to give us stability in an unstable world. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you'll take your word and not let it return void, but continue to bring fruit from Psalm 16 in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.